If you've been thinking about wanting to start a podcast but not sure where to get started, I have some news for you. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi gang, Donna here. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Pete Alexander. Professor Pete is a stress relief expert. His best-selling book, Lighten Your Day, Fast, Easy, and Effective, Effective Stress Relief, has tips and tools to combat stress. But you may be wondering how this ties into his better two moment. You see, during his career, he had numerous positions, all coming with a high stress level of stress. One day, all the stress came crashing down on him, and he realized he had a very hard and valuable lesson to learn. Without your health, nothing else matters. Now, welcome, Professor Pete. Donna, thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I will say this. I had one of those moments myself because I came back to work after being out with pneumonia. I came back mm -hmm. too soon. And I had an employee come over to me and tell me, no job is worth your health. Oh, that's good. That was very insightful of that person. Yeah. And I never realized it until they said it. And it was just kind of like, oh, because the following week I ended up back out because I, my pneumonia got worse. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so well, it's, it's, it, it's interesting that you say that because... Um, it, you know, if some, if an expert would have told you that, or let's say a significant other told you that you probably, it would have been gone in one ear and out the other. But the fact that somebody who had no, um, no stake in the, you know, or no, you know, yeah. no stake in, in your, your survival and stuff like that tells you this, um, that, you know, I don't know what it is that why we, we listen to people like that versus, the people you know that really yeah. should my, be. My, my, my husband would always be like, "Why do you listen to somebody else when I said the exact same thing?" I'm like, "I know you said it. I heard you said it, but you know, this is a different thing. It's somebody else saying it. There, it's confirmation." So, yep, absolutely. So, so you're at these high stress positions. I mean, you were a college professor, sales, marketing, all of these things are very mm -hmm. high stress. Mm -hmm. um, so, what exactly happened to you? What? How did this all come about? You, you know where you're not handling your stress. I know we're not taught how to handle stress. So. Right. Yeah. Well, it actually for me, uh, stress started when I was a kid. Um, so I grew up in an extremely dysfunctional family and uh, I had to be the adult in many cases in that situation. And um, then what happened was I carried that stress bearing, I've got to take care of everything, be the stable person. Um, I took that into my adult life. And what happened was in 2008, um, my body was indicating that I was way overstressed. There were various things happening. And I had this perfect storm of stressful activities, things like my, my father was dying and he needed his uh, um, affairs to be taken care of. My mom needed major hip surgery and she didn't have uh, proper uh, insurance to take care of the physical therapy. 
Uh, I had a my business that I was running uh, uh, where I had uh, several employees that needed my attention. My kids were small. They needed my attention. And my my marriage was heading for a divorce. <laughs> so it was all these different yeah. things that were um, going on. And what happened was I got diagnosed with stress-induced diabetes. The crazy thing is, is that I didn't listen to my body about what stress was doing to it. Instead, what I did was I continued, you know, to burn the candle at both ends for another 10 years, uh, like a lot of us do, until I ended up in the emergency room with uh, a severe case of diabetic ketoacidosis. And for your listeners who don't know what that is, basically my body was eating itself alive because of my stress. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, uh, people who don't have the people that aren't close to you having that impact. Yeah. Well, so I, from the emergency room, they transferred me into um, the ICU because the doctors said, had I not come in when I did, I was one hour from being comatose. That's how bad it was. And my, my blood sugars were so skyrocketing that the medical grade glucometers could not read them. Well, on my second day in ICU, my numbers had come down a little bit more uh, reasonably. Uh, They were still high, but they were more reasonable. And at about 6 a.m., I get a text from my boss at the time. And the text says, you have a webinar you need to run at eight o'clock. What are you going to do about it? I kid you not. My boss knew I was in the hospital. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what a surprise. I didn't have my work laptop with me. So there I am pushing the envelope of my, my iPhone reschedule this, this webinar. And the nurse uh, who was taking care of me at that time, she comes over And they were checking my blood every hour or so. And she checks my blood and my numbers automatically skyrocketed. Yeah. And she says, a matter of factly to me, she says, you realize that's what put you in this hospital bed in the first place. And so there we go. A perfect stranger who had, you know, said something to me. And that was my epiphany moment. And I realized, you know, I am trading my health for my career, and that is a really bad trade. And this happens all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, speaking, going back to, you were talking about how you were set up. Before I, before I ended up leaving my job, um, it was back in 2005, I had become a claim supervisor. So I was, I had a decent job. And my, my husband was always like, well, you can take you can take your boss's office. I'm like, I don't want my boss's office. I have enough stress now. <laughs> so I'm managing, I think it was like 10 people. Um, the summer before all my, I would say, yeah, it was this August before I had the pneumonia. We had Katrina coming through. I'm in, I'm mm-hmm. in Illinois, but my mm-hmm. family all is in New Orleans. Okay. So my grandmother is in a, has, was in a nursing home. My my husband had had a stint. Um, this was his first stint. He was diabetic. So it was kind of one of those things you're, you don't know what's going on. He's going in for chest pain. So you're panicked about that. Um, I don't know. Katrina's coming. As soon as we get him out of the hospital, I find out Katrina's coming. My dad's like, Oh, don't worry. We're evacuating. I'm like, okay, fine. Meanwhile, my boss is now saying you're in charge of the office because 
all of the other supervisors and myself have to go to this other office in Georgia. So you need to handle the office while we're gone. Plus go to an actuary meeting. Plus make sure you interview some people that are here. I'm like, okay. And in the meantime, over that weekend when they're evacuating Katrina, my stepmother dies. And my grandmother's now in a hospital. She's out of the, the nursing home. She's in a hospital. And when Katrina hit, she's stuck in a hospital for four days with rising water. Uh, I'm talking to the nurse. And I, I asked her how she was doing and everything. But it was really nightmares. There had no air or anything because it was, you know, the power was out. So I'm dealing with all the stress. And it continues to build and build and build and build. And I remember sitting at my desk not too long before I got sick. And I'm like, I'm going to quit. And by this point, my grandmother had moved in with us, which was fine. And my other grandmother at one point lived with both of us. But. I'm like, I'm going to quit. I can't handle this. When you're sitting at your desk, and I know that my listeners, I'm sure there's some listeners out there that can relate to that moment where you're sitting at your desk and the stress is just piling on top of you. And so I ended up with bronchitis and that bronchitis shortly turned into pneumonia. And this goes back to your meeting. This is why I bring this up. So I'm out with pneumonia and there was an employee, the same employee who told me no job was worth my health. My boss calls me and tells me, you need to work on writing out his report, re writing out the report about getting him fired. Okay. Wow. All right. Do you realize I'm at home with pneumonia? Yeah, but you need to do this. We need to get this done, turned in. But I left and came back. And I mean, I was at work from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. one night and finding stuff that I needed to which somebody else could have found this when they were his employee, you know, when they were, but no. So I'm doing all this and I end up back sick. And then they call me, want me to write this report out. I'm like, really? So this isn't just your boss that says, Hey, you're in the hospital, but Hey, how many times has somebody, you know, I mean, people, we know that their phone rings. I mean, I remember the Blackberry back in the day, everybody had a Blackberry and those Blackberries were going off because the boss needed you. When do we unplug? It's true. It, you know, I remember my first um, phone, it was a Palm Trail that allowed me to get my emails. And I remember thinking to myself at first, I think this is awesome. I can check my emails on the weekend. And then I realized, oh my God, this just opened up a whole can of worms. And it's true because when, if we don't detox from technology, what happens is when we are checking our work messages in the evenings, on the weekends, on our vacation, what, ha what, ha what actually happens is we <clears throat> effectively have not stopped working. We haven't given our mind or our body the opportunity to recharge. And I'm not talking about, oh, I got my night's sleep. It's really, it's, it's that those waking moments where you don't want to be continuously a go, 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 go. And you know, how many times have, have you seen, you know, pre-COVID or now, you know, hopefully things getting uh, a little bit more normalcy, seeing people in a restaurant and instead of them having a conversation, they're both on their phones. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, so why wouldn't you just get takeout and go back home and do that? Yeah. You know, you're in, the you're in the environment of the restaurant and why can't you be present with the person that's there? And so... One of the things that I learned from this experience is uh, to be more present with my wife when we're having dinner. Um, and it really makes a big difference because yeah. you're not distracted by, you know, any little ping that comes on your phone. 
when you were talking about the distress, when I used to, when I was working, I would pick my husband up at the train station. So we're talking roughly about 5.30, 5, 5 o'clock, 5.30. I'd mm-hmm. pick him up and I would be going on and on and on about work until we went to bed. And finally, I started playing a video game. I was playing San Andreas, which is just wrong. And I've never played the game since. But I would play it for hours. And he, and he was like, really, is this helping? I'm like, yeah, it's relieving my stress, no problem. But he would, he would talk about it. He's like, you would pick me up and then you would just go on and on and on because I was just that stressed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when did, you know, when does a paycheck versus, versus our sanity? You know, when do we make that definition? And, and the thing right. is, you need that paycheck because you need to pay your mortgage or your rent. Right. You need food on the table. So, but how do we navigate this? You know? Yeah. And it's true too. But the, when it gets to be that bad, the thing is, money is going to mean nothing to you if you are sick in bed. Because, you know, anyone who's who's experienced that, or let's say anyone who's ever had like the bad flu, if you think about it, you probably didn't have any energy other than to lie in bed. Mm-hmm. And when you're sick in bed, you're no good to your work. You're no good to the people that are close to you, you're no good to anybody. And that's the issue is that when we push, 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 because we think, okay, we have to do it because of money and nothing else. That is a very slippery slope because, you know, our bodies can take a whole lot, but it'll, will, it'll warn you. And if you keep ignoring those warning signs, whatever the weakest link in your body is that's going to break down. And in the case for like, for me, no one else in my family has diabetes, but I've got this disease that I have to deal with for the rest of my life. Yeah. With the expenses that come with that, not just the fact that I've got the, 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 the medical issues with it, but I also have the expenses of the insulin and the pump, et cetera, that had I listened to my body, I wouldn't have incurred. Right. My husband was type one. So Mm -hmm. I know exactly. Um, When I left work, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And everybody's Mm -hmm. like, how can you have Mm -hmm. PSD? You you aren't at war, but but in a way you are. You're fighting for your survival. Your mind is fighting for its own survival. Yes. And it's, it's, there's way more cases of that, especially with abusive bosses, because when there's this, the, 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 um, the boss is treating people so horrendously and you're so stressed out because you need to try and do everything you can to deliver on whatever the expectations are of that person. It's crazy. Um, and I can't, you know, I, 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 I shudder whenever I think about several, uh, occurrences where I had bosses like that in my career. Uh, primarily early in my career, because when I would have them uh, later in my career, uh, I usually just found a new job. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, if you look at all the statistics, people don't leave companies, people leave their supervisors. It's yeah. really true. And so that relationship with whoever you report to is critical for the employee's uh, long-term success. And uh, when when a, a, a supervisor treats their people horribly, 
Um, it's, you know, it, you're, you're, you're going to stress those people out and you're going to burn them out. They're going to likely leave. Um, and if they burn out, that's not going to do you any good either, because you're going to have to find uh, someone else to do that work. Because right. if they, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible process. And, and um, I, I just strongly encourage people that, uh, you know, that there always is an opportunity to find something else, either, you know, a different company to work for, or you starting something on your own, or, you know, that, you know, to, because you're, you know, you cannot, well, you can, but it's not a good idea to keep, keep dumping that negative energy inside of your body because it's it, the, the the interesting thing is our bodies are the same wiring that they were back in the stone age and back then the stress you know fight or flight let's say yeah. was designed you know for short term situations where we might have to outrun a T-Rex or a saber-toothed tiger or something like that but now most of our stress of course is mental and one of the keys to learn is that most of our stress is self induced we do it to ourselves and so you know talking about my my ex ex boss who sent me this text well I could have just ignored it or said, you know, I, I really can't do anything. Can you find somebody else to do this? But instead I went, oh, I've got to, got to take care right. of that webinar. So I allowed that. And that's one of the key things that early on for people to realize how much of that stress are we doing to ourselves versus things that we cannot control. And if we can focus on what we can control, our mindset, what we do, it is a big game changer because whenever we feel we focus on what we can control and what we can affect change in, then our stress goes down. When we worry about things that are outside of our control, that's when our stress goes up. I think you, know, you, you touched on something when we first started that you know your role as a kid wasn't necessarily as a kid, you had to be the parent. And I get that. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I came from a lovely home as well. And you're not taught coping skills, you're taught how to adapt. Um, for me, I had a mother who had was undiagnosed bipolar, and I'm sure a couple other things. So you never knew who you were going to get. Oh. The minute you would have somebody that was very supportive, and the next minute you would have somebody that was just like, go away, I don't need, you know, so you have. So navigating stress was never you just navigated life mm -hmm. and we didn't teach people in school and I, hopefully they're getting better about it. We didn't teach them how to deal with stress or how to deal with it. You know, when you're thinking about school and I know some people are like, well, parents should be teaching kids how to garden. Parents should be teaching these life skills. But if the parents are so stressed out themselves from dealing with their own job and trying to put food on the table, how are they going to be able to teach their kids how to maintain and, and learn how to pass up stress? I've talked to some right. guests that have great skills and they have situations where they've taught their kids how to meditate and how to handle the stress. But, you know, stress modification in your eyes, do you feel that it should be a family thing? It, you know, if in part of the support that a family gives, absolutely. But you're, you're absolutely right too about, you know, there's families that, you know, they're in just 
sheer survival mode. That's that's literally how I felt like for me growing up. My uh, my I grew up in an alcoholic family, and so you know the the you didn't know you know what craziness was that the alcohol induced uh, personalities were going to create. The thing that I found as a parent myself is that what I always did when my kids were growing up is whenever I was dealing with something that seemed to be a challenge with my kids, I found myself often thinking about what would my mom do? What would my dad do? And I'd almost always do the opposite. Yeah. 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 But there's, there's always that moment where something slips out of your mouth and you're like, Oh my God, I sound just like they did. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's still stuff there that, uh, that, that happens and, and, you know, um, it, it, it goes, but the other thing that helps me when it comes to thinking about what happened to me as a, as a kid is that forgiveness is huge. It's absolutely huge. And uh, one of the things that I find is that if you can learn to forgive people um, and there's different activities you can do to have forgiveness. Um, if you can have forgiveness and also have gratitude for those people, that is a huge game changer. And so, you know, in a family dynamic where, you know, there's, you know, always going to be the parent and the sibling or the, 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 the child and, and, or their siblings always fighting. If you can teach them those two things, it's huge. It is absolutely huge because the gratitude will bring that positive energy out. And the forgiveness will hopefully remove a lot of that negative baggage that is being fest is festering inside of the person. And that's the thing is, is that it's not, a, we, we're not looking at trying to get rid of all stress because not all stress is bad. And that's what a lot of people think, oh, I'm stressed. Well, so there is good stress. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's called eustress and it basically helps us get things done when we're working on stuff that we like to do, you know, so that, that is good stress. But when we focus on negative stress and in my experience, negative stress tends to be um, two different flavors. There's the um, rumination where we're worried about something in the past and in our in the past, we can't change it. Right. But yet we continue to worry about or have guilt about something we either did or didn't do. That does not serve us any good. Get rid of it. Let it out. You know, write a letter to somebody that you don't even have to send or or, or just do some, some sort of uh, forgiveness of yourself or other people. The other flavor is anxiety about something that may or may not happen in the future. So, you know, like, for example, going back to um, my being in the hospital bed and I get this text from my boss and I'm going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to look really terrible and blah, blah, blah. So when we start worrying about something that may or may not happen in the future, we often manifest that exact outcome. Yep instead of just living in the present, if we can just, if we can eliminate those two, the rumination of the past and anxiety of the future, 
that if that's that will be complete game changers for people. Those are that it's absolutely true. The one thing I, I will say, we've talked about work stress and we talked about family stress. I had stress that I didn't even realize I had. Um, in 2019, September 2019, um, my husband went in for a procedure for his heart, and I was told at that time that he was on borrowed time. Oh. Okay. Well, there's the reason why I'm going to say this. Nobody, I talked to his cardiologist. His cardiologist was very good, told, told me everything I need to know. Nobody bothered to tell my husband. So I go to pick him up from the hospital. I'm like, did anybody talk to you? No. Everybody said, they said the surgery was fine. Everything was fine. I'm like, okay. So the, his, now I'm going to say this to the people that are listening since I'm talking to a diabetic. My husband was the poster boy for bad diabetics. He mm. became diabetic, I think at 20, 21 years old. He was very meticulous about losing weight. And then he had a friend tell him, hey, you want that donut? All you got to do is work with your insulin. And I'm not going to get into how he did it, but he did it. And I would get after him about taking his numbers. And he's like, oh, I know what it is. And he could tell you with by taste what his numbers were without pulling his blood sugar. And he oh would prove gosh. it to me. This is how good he was when he was good. So he, kidney failure, we have the works. So his kidney PA comes in, his physician assistant. And I said, nobody's talked to him. Somebody needs to have this conversation. I don't want to have to have it. So she talked to him and they let him out without oxygen and we were driving home and he had a panic attack. And so we were, luckily we were by an ER and in the ER, he had a panic attack, which is shooting up his heart rate, which is not good. And being a diabetic for 20, you know, for 40 years, I guess he, well, close about 30 something. They were trying to, they couldn't find a vein because diabetes folks, if you don't know this diabetes will kill your kidneys, will kill your veins, it'll kill everything it can. And so they were trying to get veins in his feet. And a diabetic's worst nightmare is to lose their limbs because of diabetes. Mm -hmm. So he's having a panic attack, he's crying, he says, I don't wanna lose you. So this begins this whole journey. And I found myself writing, because I'm a writer, I found myself writing a character who was dealing with the loss of her husband. And my husband was still here. So fast forward to June of last year, my husband, I pick him up from dialysis. Everything seems normal and something happens. We, he thinks his sugar's low. So he stopped at Burger King, which was less than five minutes from where we left. He sa says he's drinking. I've had him go low before. He's not drinking. I'm trying to get his attention. He turns his head to the side and he collapses. The reason why I'm going through this whole story is, so this was like a whole, almost a year I went through this. And after he passed, I went to my primary care doctor, which was also his primary care doctor. And she looks at me and she says, do you realize the amount of anxiety and stress you were under? And I'm like, no, I didn't. I had no idea. I thought it was my life. My concern was for him. I wanted to make sure he was okay. You don't think about that as stress. And the reason why I bring this up is because there's a lot of people our age and younger that have dealt and even older that have dealt with having to take care of a parent, a grandparent, a kid, somebody that's in a terminal situation. And how do you deal with that? You know, because you're taking it internally because you're doing what you have to do. And it's different than a job and a boss telling you, you need to pick up that phone. This is somebody you love and care about. So there's another layer to emotion to it. So how do you deal with that in your eyes when you're trying to go through that? Yeah, it's that is a tough one. The thing is, is that first and foremost, you have to take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, because 
Um, going back to what we talked about, if you end up getting sick and you're lying in bed, you're not going to be able to take care of that loved one. Right. You're just not going to. So you have to prioritize your own self-care. And that own self-care does not have to take a huge amount of time. The It doesn't take more than five, 10 minutes at the absolute most. Go for a walk. Do You mentioned meditation uh, a, a little earlier. Um, be able to talk with a friend. Um, do something that you can regularly do and I'm, and I, and, and make it a habit because one thing that I notice a lot of people who are dealing with that and that's that, you, you know, and taking it all on themselves and saying, Oh, okay, I'll, I'll take care of myself after my, you know, my spouse, my mom, my dad, my kids, whatever it is, is taken care of. But if you can make a habit out of it, where, the same time every day, and if you, if for those of us who use a calendar, you block, you know, that few minutes a day where it reminds you to do that activity, and you treat it like it is a responsibility. Then you get into the habit of saying, "Okay, I do. I need to, I need to do my ten minutes of exercise. I need to do my." you know, five minute walk, I need to do my five minute meditation, I need to do just some deep breathing, whatever it happens to be, that works for you. Because uh, what I've found out is that, you know, what might work for you, Donna, may not work for me and vice versa. Right. So you got to find whatever works for you. And that and prioritize that. And even if it is that five minutes a day, it doesn't seem like a lot. But if you get into the habit of doing that daily, the compound benefits over time will be enormous, but you have to prioritize and start today to do it. And that would be, you know, no matter what you're facing, that would be the number one thing to, 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 to take on and find that one thing that helps you. Well, that, that's one thing I, I'm thankful I'm a writer because, you know, I did not intentionally write this character to go through suffering the loss of her husband. And it was really surreal because I would sit here and I would work on writing it and I'm crying, getting all this emotion out. And my husband would come by to go to the bathroom and be like, hi, honey. And I'd stop the tears. I'm like, hi. And everything would be fine. And I'd go back to writing and I'd cry. And it helped a lot. But now we're, we're coming up on the year. And because of COVID, we didn't do anything. And I'm in a situation now where we're I'm talking with his best friend about doing something and I had put it all together. I did a collage and it gutted me. And I'm sitting here with a smile on my face, but I was totally destroyed. So I canceled it yesterday. And he called me a little while ago before this podcast. And he's like, well, we should do this still. You know, it might be better to do it now and get that closure, but I'm just not sure I can because it's like, it's still so raw. And, you know, with COVID, we still don't have that support system in place that. So it's like, I'm not sure I really want to do that yet. It's not that I, it's a good idea and it needs to be done, but it's just, it's hurt. It hurts. Yeah. And I think that you have to, to, to listen to what, you know, whatever it is on your inner, you know, your inner child is saying on that. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if it is too much to deal with right now, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. I mean, you have to, you have to honor yourself and, and, and feel and, and, you know, and, and 
doing something like a big collage, I can, I, I can only imagine how painful that would be because of all the different pictures that you would be having and each picture is gonna bring back a particular memory. Um, so it's, not, it, it's taking more of those baby steps to be able to move forward and just you know, honor what's inside of you and just say, okay, does this feel right? Well, because that, 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 I mean, that, that, because, uh, you know, um, it, it's similar to, you know, doing any kind of, a, uh, of an activity where this, you know, there's somebody that you really care about that, you know, whether it's journaling, whether it's writing, whether it's doing these the collages or a scrapbook or whatever it happens to be, you, you know, it's, it, the thing that we have to remember is, is that there could be pent up emotion that does need to come out. We, you know, our, our unconscious wants to release it. And if some, an activity like that allows us to release it, that is a positive thing. So, you know, so, so, and it might be something where uh, for you in particular, where you're able to, you know, you start it, you get that emotion out, then you come back to it, uh, you know, uh, the next time some more emotion comes out, but each time you're letting out whatever needs to come out. And at some point I would imagine you would be able to say, okay, I can do this. I right. Can do this now. I mean, I honored myself last year when, after he died, around August, I'm like, okay, you can choose to go with your normal comfort, which would be to eat to eat badly and gain weight, or you can choose to get healthy. That's what you, you know, you're, you're still alive. He's not. So I did. And I started working on losing weight and I have lost weight and I'm still working on it, but you know, maybe I haven't dealt with anything or dealt with everything that I think I have. It's one of those things where you, you kind of bottle it down and you think you're doing a lot better than you are sometimes. Mm -hmm. I actually, I came to the realization the other day, it's like, I recorded a podcast in the morning and I'm like, smiles like I am right now with you. But I got off the podcast and I started crying mm-hmm. because we present one face to, to, the, to the world and then internally, we don't necessarily show it. And that's, that's stress, that's anxiety, that's everything rolled into one. And that can, and I'm well aware, can take you down. Yeah, it can, it can. But I also believe that <clears throat> we shouldn't apologize for that. We, we shouldn't, it's, it's being vulnerable. And when, you know, I remember, so one of the delights that I had as a kid is uh, my, um, I, I was the one who found a family member who had committed suicide. And I was angry, went through the emotion of the anger. And I remember it wasn't until, uh, Five, roughly five months later. And there was something I had just talked to somebody about, about him. And I, you know, and I was, I was fine, you know, of course, publicly, I was yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I kept, I kept, kept the, um, the, the armor on the facade, yeah. the, the stage, the stage yeah. presence, right. Of course, that we all do the stage presence. And then I got, I, all of a sudden, when I was by myself, I just had to let it out. I had to to cry. And um, the thing is that allowing ourselves to cry and not beating ourselves up about it is um, a healthy thing. 
we have to let that, you know, that, that, that emotion needs to come out. I had another example where uh, I remember I was flying on a plane. I was coming home and um, I was doing this activity as inner child activity. And I was coming back from a business trip. And I remember I was, um, luckily I was on the uh, uh, window seat and uh, it was an activity where it said something about uh, uh, do some sort of drawing or artwork um, that you like to do as a kid. And so I remember this activity that um, you could make almost like a, a totem pole out of, um, out of handwriting uh, with a pencil. And so I started doing that and I did that little drawing and all of a sudden I connected with my inner child for the first time in probably 30, 35 years. Mm -hmm. And I started crying. And I remember I looked out the window as I'm crying. <laughs> Lovely view. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I had to let it out yeah, because yeah. It, it needed to come out. Um, and, you know, it just, it, we, we have to honor ourselves that way. We absolutely do. Because, you know, if the, the, the more we keep it bottled in, it's just going to fester inside of us. And, and uh, you know, even if it's if it's screaming into a pillow or you know what have you, find something that can help release that negative energy. It's just it just has to get out there. And you know our 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 unconscious mind absolutely wants to get rid of it. Um, our conscious mind is the one that says, "Well, we are not supposed to. We're we're you know we we have to keep this 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 professional facade on, and it's you know and uh, there's no crying in baseball if you remember that Tom yeah, Hanks yeah. line for you know it, it's it's that kind of stuff that we we think oh, okay we're supposed to keep strong and not not uh, show our uh, you know our vulnerability, but it's so much better and so much more calming to be able to let that out. Yeah. Um, the suicide thing I get, my mom did it. So I, I didn't find her, but here's the thing. She wanted me, this is how twisted my mom was. My mom actually called me. I was living in Dallas at the time and she lived in Shreveport. She didn't end up doing it then, but she had been playing this game about doing it for years. And I had saved her before, but this time she calls me and she's like, I want you to come find me. I'm like, excuse me. Now I am 22 years old. I want you to come find me. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you want me to come find you? I'm going to do it in the shower in the master bath. And I want you to come find me. She's oh going to shoot her. So, oh my God. And I'm like, if you loved me, you wouldn't ask me to do that. Hmm. But and she didn't get the rationale. I mean, she had put me through living hell for a month straight. And I mean, I was not married to her. I couldn't back then it was the eighties. You really didn't have or the early nineties psych holds and stuff. I mean, she, she had tried to commit suicide when I was in high school and she was, I called the paramedics, saved her. She was in a coma for three days and then she was in a psych hold and she convinced them that she was burned out. So they let her out. She had no treatment, nothing. So fast forward. And yeah, she eventually, she was on a mission. Ultimately she was on a mission because talk after she did it, my dad's like, Oh yeah. When you were little, she tried it too. Well, it would have been nice to have known that, but, mm -hmm. but I mean, it was just, it was the perfect storm. And to me, when somebody does that to you, so there's another little stress nugget. I mean, that whole month, and she wasn't only doing it to me, she was doing it to my grandmother too. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how, you know, people don't like suicide is such a dicey thing because there are some people that legitimately don't want to do it there. It's a cry for help. And then there's other people that are just manipulating. And after my mom did it, I had a very close friend at the time who liked to play this game with me. And she would sit there and say, well, I just have no life. My life's not worth living. I should kill myself. She never intended to even harm herself, but it, she knew because that was a trigger for me, she could play me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people have to be careful with stress when it comes to triggers, because people will use those triggers against you to get a reaction. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important for us to uh, know what our triggers are. And so if you can keep inventory of those, um, and you know, it's pretty easy to identify. And in fact, there's a, um, uh, a tool that I found online that can help you uh, identify them as well that I can, um, I can share with you uh, okay. so you can share with the listeners. Um, it really is important because it, our awareness, our self-awareness of, okay, that's pushing my button. And if you're, you know, that if you can be aware of it, you are actually in some control there. And remember what we were talking about prior, when we feel like we can control something, so our own reactions mm-hmm. to the situation, which is the trigger, um, we can actually be able to affect change in the way we want it. So the, the triggers, knowing those triggers is critical. It absolutely is critical. And um, uh, if, if you can figure out what it is that is your number one trigger and figure out ways to minimize it, you're not going to eliminate it. Usually you're not going to, because those triggers are typically something that is something that built up over your past. But if you can minimize some of the emotional uh, resistance or whatever it is that that gets you to go, ah, like this, I don't want to be around um, you know, that person because they're triggering me, that figuring that out and realizing ways to deal with it are powerful. They really are. It's just, it, it's just getting to know yourself and knowing it better instead of the, you know, how often we are where we're just reactory. Oh, you know, I hear that particular word and it mm-hmm. just flares me. Um, or, you know, this, you, you know, we've all had probably people in our lives that, um, you know, just the sound of their voice makes, you know, makes us cringe. And those are the kind of things where if we look at it, what is it that's causing that? My, my therapist has a, a great analogy about this because I asked her one time, why do I keep picking certain friends? And she's like, it's like a pothole. You're walking down the street. The first time you fall into the pothole, you're like, well, wait, let me dust myself up, get up, keep walking. Second time you're walking along, you hit the pothole again. But this time you get up really quick because you're like, okay, I recognize it. By the third time, you're like, oh, let me step around it. And by the fourth time, you're like, I'm going to take a different route. Uh-huh. Exactly. So it's all about learning. It's mm-hmm. all about learning. And that's, you know, and that's the thing, you know, um, for me, it was interesting too, because um, when I, so, so in recovering from that dysfunctional childhood and that suicide, et cetera, what I found, which was very interesting was that I had lost my, the ability to like myself. And 
when I started recovering from that, not only did I learn to like myself, but I actually learned to love myself. And that is a huge mind shift. It really is. Because when we love ourselves, we're willing to focus on, you know, putting ourselves first before taking care of somebody else. It's that classic oxygen mask, you know, on the plane, you know, put your, put the mask on yourself first before putting it on a child. The reason is, is because you have to be able to, 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 to take care of yourself first. You can't do anything for the child if you are not, not taking care of yourself. And when you start loving yourself and realizing that, yeah, you've made mistakes in the past. Um, you, you know, there's things that we're not proud of, but you know, if you make amends or, um, you know, do whatever you need to do to forgive yourself, forgive others. It is amazing what kind of emotional baggage gets removed off of your shoulders. It's, it's, it's amazing. And that, that's the thing. We we're not taught to love ourselves because at least, you know, for me, if you liked yourself too much, well, then you're being a, an egotist. Mm-hmm. Or arrogant. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, you couldn't like yourself too much because then there was a problem. So, you know, and then then you had all the outside factors, not just from kids, but your family that would that were not always complimentary. If you got too big for your britches, you know, we're going to take you mm-hmm. down a couple of notches, just like mm-hmm. men were not allowed to cry. Boys mm-hmm. couldn't cry. Girls mm-hmm. could cry, but boys couldn't cry. And well, you'd be so much prettier if you lost weight. I look oh. back at pictures of me and I'm like, I wasn't fat. I wasn't, a, I wasn't real thin, but I wasn't fat. So mm-hmm. it, it's just all that baggage that, you know, how you have to unpack to, to learn to love yourself. There was a movie, uh, I think it was Terminal Velocity. And I always laugh because there's, it's a bad movie. It's a Charlie Sheen movie. But there was one line that has always stuck with me. And that was pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. <laughs> I remember um um you know my my wife and I watched the uh reruns of um uh the 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 Gilmore girls mm-hmm. and I remember uh um the 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 Lorelai Gilmore she said something about her mom and she said she said um it's it, you know the the um, mom's emotional baggage has has arrived and boy is it heavy. <laughs> but, but I mean, the thing is, we do have emotional baggage. It's just a matter of are you using it to guilt somebody or mm-hmm. are you using it to work through? If it's your own baggage, mm-hmm. you can start unpacking it and figuring things out. And that's you know, as some people call it, shadow work. That's when you're diving deep and you're yeah. figuring out who you are. Yeah. And that's the scary thing, because once you start unpacking that stuff, you see layers of yourself, you see layers of your parents, you see right. things that you learned through a different perspective. Yeah, you know? and it's it, the shadow work is great because it gives you that insight over, you know, things that you don't like about yourself. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it's like, what is that other person doing in there? Another thing that I found is extremely powerful to, to get rid of emotional baggage is this uh, technique called uh, mental and emotional release. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, Mm-mm, but no. M- yeah, MER is powerful because what it does is it allows the person who's having the MR, MER done to them to go back into their past 
and figure out what is the source event that's causing all these problems and our reactions to a particular situation. Because the source event caused some sort of emotional baggage. And then each time something similar happened throughout our life, that was, it was triggered, triggered, triggered. And what's, what's amazing about this, this practice is you are able to go back in your past using your unconscious mind. And you, if you can eliminate that source event and then eliminate any of the other events that had been triggered by that source event, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's gone. It's like that channel that your unconscious mind has been looking for to get rid of stuff. And it's powerful and it really isn't. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I, in fact, I, when I had it done to myself, I remember I came back into the office. We were mentioning, uh, uh, you know, earlier about, uh, you know, the, uh, somebody's voice triggering a negative reaction. Yeah. Well, I had somebody I worked with who literally, whenever I would even hear his voice, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. I just could not stand this guy because he was, he was so arrogant mm-hmm. in your face. He, he just, he was just everything, uh, everything, um, uh, uh, personality wise that I cannot stand. And, um, and so, but it was triggering in me. And I remember after having that done, I come back in on Monday morning and, um, he comes in and I hear his voice. And instead of the hair on the back of my neck standing up, it's like, Oh, there he is. So you don't go from, you don't go from, uh, you know, being triggered by him to, or, or that person to liking them. But what it does is it basically uh, flatlines that in, that negative emotion. And that's fantastic because yeah. then it doesn't trigger you anymore. Yeah. I mean, I there was a woman at my job who had the same name as me. At the mm-hmm. time I, I was dressing down, I was not there to impress anybody. I was in a relationship and I was just there to do my job. Mm-hmm. She was flawless hair, flawless makeup. Yeah. She'd spray Evian mist on her face and she didn't do any work. This is the pro the, the employee she wanted me to fire was her employee. And I found mail on his desk that had not been put in a file for two years when he oh was gosh. her employee. And so she comes in for my final review and I actually, the universe conspired to get me out of there. So that's how I got out of there. But she comes in for my final review and she may, she lets me read it and I'm just looking at her and she's like, well, don't you have something to say? And I knew she wanted me to react. And all I did was look at her and said, it is what it is. It is what it is. But don't you, no, don't have anything to say. As soon as I left, I was like, ah, but <laughs> I, I, and I was like, I'm going to write a rebuttal. And my husband's like, let it go. Just don't even worry about it. He ended up shutting the recliner. We had a re- reclining love seat and he ended up shutting it on my foot. And that began this whole, my stress took over and it messed up with my back and I had ankle surgery. It was mm. just a mess, but ultimately it was a lifesaver because once I was out of that environment, I realized how toxic it was and how the stress was eating at me and physically affecting me. So that's why I say divine intervention. When he closed the thing on my foot, it was like, oh no, but ultimately it ended up being divine intervention. Um, so let's talk about your book a little bit. 
Sure. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, say, tell us about it. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. So it's it's basically lighten your day, fast, easy, and effective stress relief. That's what it looks like. Um, and what it is is it's a approximately 125 different stress relief techniques um, that are broken down by the seven areas of our lives that I found during my research for the book that are causing us stress. If, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the fact that most of our stress is mental and most of our stress is self-induced. We do it to ourselves. So we, what can we control? We can only control ourselves. So the seven areas that we tend to stress ourselves out in is our livelihood or our career. That's the L. I stands for imagination or your conscious mind, which is only 5% of your, uh, of your brain, but it's where your inner critic lies. We all love that. Mm-hmm. Um, the G is for your genius or your unconscious mind, because that's where real change happens. Uh, the T is for time. I'm sorry. The H is for uh, your physical health. T is for the time you have available. E is for your environment. And N is for your network of relationships because the people around you work. Yeah personal life, et cetera, they're all going to cause you stress as well. So the different techniques are categorized by uh, the different areas of your life that uh, that you can work on. And so uh, the great thing about it is, is it, it's not designed to be, okay, I'm going to pick this book up and I'm going to read it from cover to cover. Now, the, tech, the, the intent of the book is for the reality of, I've got five minutes before I have to have either a challenging conversation or I've got to go into this meeting or whatever, whatever it happens to be, give something a try. And if it works for you, run with it and do that every day over and over again, because it's going to benefit you. Um, And if it doesn't work, big deal. You tried it for a couple minutes, try something else next time. And you will find there's not a single person who hasn't found at least one or two techniques that work for them. Awesome. Um, so I, there is something I didn't touch on, it, and it's a very big little word, which is fear. Oh, yeah. Well, fear is a, a wonderful acronym. So fear, <laughs> what I like to, to remind people about is that fear is actually an acronym that stands for fictional evidence appearing real. Fictional evidence appearing real. And it primarily are that negative emotion is around fear and often about things going the anxiety about something that's going to happen in the future. And what is so great, let's say if we have fear about interviewing for a new job, fear about having a conversation with somebody, fear about whatever it is that you don't think you can do. Instead, ask yourself the following question. What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Think about that. Yeah. You know, the, the, instead of that stuck state of fear where we, uh, we can't do anything, it opens up the world of possibilities. That's well, what's, go ahead. I was going to say, not only that, you're opening up the possibility of manifesting. Yes, absolutely. Because it's, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? So you're thinking about where could I go with this? And I have worked with people from so many different age ranges where this is a home run. In fact, my youngest son, when he graduated high school, 
he was beating himself up so badly because he didn't know what he wanted to do. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I, when I was that age, but he just, I don't know. I don't know. And, and he, he got into this stuck state because he's his own worst enemy. And so I asked him that question. I said, I want you to, 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 to think about what you would do if you knew you couldn't fail. And I don't want an answer right now. Think about it a day or two. And a couple of days later, he comes back to me. And first of all, you know, an 18 year old, he says to me, you know, dad, that was a really interesting question that I really liked, liked you asking me. And I thought to myself, a teenager just complimented me. So, <laughs> right. And yeah. so, uh, you know, so there was, so well, obviously, this, <laughs> so, but he, um, he thought about it. He came back, he came back with uh, three completely off the wall out, out in left field kind of ideas. And, you know, that was uh, uh, two years ago and he's pursuing one of those now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So it really, and, and, and he went from that just being, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it to actually chasing after something that he really, you know, really wants. And, and to, to your point about manifesting, it's all about, you know, having that positive outcome. And because if you think positively and you send out that positive energy, going back to our gratitude discussion earlier, you send out that positive energy, you're going to attract that positive energy back. But the opposite goes as well. If you are negative, 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 you are going to attract back negative outcomes. It's just the way the universe works. And if you're, you're manifesting out of, I don't want to say need, but out of dire that you're, you're, you're just so locked up in fear and, and worry and everything else, and you're not doing it out of appreciation and gratitude it, it is going to fail you're not going to get what you want you'll mm -hmm. get something you don't want it's kind of like because i read cards like the hangman if you mm -hmm. sit there and you don't make a decision and you sit there and swing on the breeze and don't make a decision a decision will be made for you and yes. if you you can sit there and complain about it but you didn't you had the power you know, it's like Linda the Good Witch. You had the power all along. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that was, true. It was sweet when I was a kid, but now, you know, you just want to go, you know, <laughs> you really want to say something to Glenda. That's not so nice, but, you know. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, is, is that um, when we make a decision, it's a huge relief one way or the other, because now we're not worried, worried, worried. In fact, um, you know, you were saying about reading the cards. Um I use a pendulum to, you know, with a yes or no uh, answer. And because the pendulum will give you the, whatever the answer is that's right for you, because your subconscious is going to uh, send that through micro, micro muscle movements in your body. So it, it, people think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's magic or, you know, there's that, that, that can't be right. And it's like, uh -huh. look up the scientific evidence on it. It is I, absolutely true. I actually had a gentleman that I just released the podcast today and he's a neuroscientist. He's in Japan and he mm -hmm. wrote a book of a tarot and dowsing. And we were talking about the fact that in layman's terms, cause he studied with Edgar Casey, you know, mm -hmm if you want to do layman's terms, Star Wars, the force, we're all bound together. We're all connected because my husband used to go, well, how do you know? At least initially now, after a certain point, he just gave up asking because he figured it out, but we're all connected and we can make manifest the positive. But if we're all living in fear, 
we're just bringing more darkness toward us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and COVID that has what that that has been, we've lived a year in fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we now turn this around and move forward and, and push for change and to get out of our own way? And well, and we exactly, and it all starts really with the only person that you can control, and that's yourself. Mm-hmm. It's the only one you have to change your mindset. You know, you have to start believing in yourself. You have to start thinking positively. That's that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I thank you for your time. This has been a very fascinating conversation. Well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so I hope my listeners enjoyed and I will have all that information up in links so you can find out about the trigger release program as well as his book and other information. So thank you guys for tuning in and catch you next time.